Our scripture lesson is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and 11 on page 1,318 in the Pew Bible, 1,318. We'll read a portion of chapter 10 and then skip ahead and read a portion of chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning at verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, being many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Observe, Israel, after the flesh, are not these those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What am I saying then, that an idol is anything, or that what is offered to idols is anything? But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Or do you provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? And then uh, chapter 11, verse 17, reading through verse 34, the end of the chapter. Chapter 11, verse 17. Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together, not for better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of the others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he add his blessing to it. In conjunction with that scripture, I'd like to read to you from the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 28, on uh, 
page 884 in the back of the Psalter hymnal, uh, the Trinity Psalter hymnal. Page 884, Lord's Day 28 in the middle, in the, near the top of the second column. How does the Holy Supper remind and assure you that you share in Christ's one sacrifice on the cross and in all his benefits? In this way, Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat this broken bread and drink this cup in remembrance of him. With this command come these promises. First, as surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup shared with me, so surely his body was offered and broken for me, and his blood poured out for me on the cross. Secondly, as surely as I receive from the hand of, the, of him who serves and taste with my mouth the bread and the cup of the Lord given to me as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely he nourishes and refreshes my soul for eternal life with his crucified body and poured out blood. What does it mean to eat the crucified body of Christ and to drink his poured out blood? It means to accept with a believing heart the entire suffering and death of Christ, and in this way to receive the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. But it means more. Through the Holy Spirit, who lives both in Christ and in us, we are united more and more to Christ's blessed body. And so, although he is in heaven and we are on earth, we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone and we forever live on and are governed by one spirit as members of our body are by one soul. Where does Christ promise to nourish and refresh believers with his body and blood as surely as they eat this broken bread and drink this cup? In the institution of the Lord's Supper, the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This promise is repeated by Paul in these words, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Beloved of the Lord, we considered a number of weeks ago the question, where does faith come from? And uh, the answer that uh, the Catechism gives us, summarizing the teaching of the Bible, is that the Holy Spirit creates faith in our hearts through the preaching of the Holy Gospel and confirms it through the use of the sacraments. And so we have been considering together the sacraments, and have considered the sacrament of baptism, and now come to the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And the Catechism asks, how does the Lord's Supper remind you that you participate in the uh, sacrifice of the Lord and in all his gifts? How does it remind you of that? And how does it assure you of that? And I want to consider those separately. First of all, how does the Lord's Supper remind you of Christ's sacrifice and that you share in it? Well, it does that through 
symbolism. Uh, the reminder is through the symbolism of the bread and the wine and the symbolism of the act of consuming that bread and wine, of reaching out for it, taking it, and putting it in your mouths. That, too, is a symbolic action. That is, uh, we aren't uh, eating that bread and drinking that wine because we need the energy contained in the physical molecules of the bread. We don't uh, eat enough bread or drink enough wine to get any real physical nourishment uh, when we eat the Lord's Supper. Uh, We're commanded to go home to get the physical nourishment that we need. So this eating is a symbolic eating. It's not uh, uh, primarily for nourishment, but for symbolism. That is not primarily not for physical nourishment, but it's a symbolic act pointing to uh, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. The the bread is a visual symbol. Uh, It represents his broken body. The Wine is a red liquid. It points us to the blood of Christ. And so it reminds us that Christ's body was broken and his blood was shed. That's how the Lord's Supper reminds us. And then we we reach out for it. Uh, The reason we uh, eat food is because we need it. We know that we need it and we see it and then we reach out for it and then we take it into ourselves. But when we see who Christ truly is, then we recognize that we need Christ, and then we reach out for Christ by faith, and because we're, we're hungry for the righteousness that uh, is ours through Christ. And uh, when uh, we reach out for Christ by faith and hunger after him, uh, we are assured that he comes to us and he enters into us. And so uh, when we uh, reach out to him and believe in him, we are fed and nourished by him unto eternal life. Jesus now gives us these symbols, and he says, take that bread that represents my broken body, and, and take that cup that represents my poured out blood, uh, the, my death that represents my death on the cross. Take it and consume it. Take it into you. Make it part of you. And uh, to remind you that you need me, and you need me inside of you, and that, that we need to be united together. You know, Jesus could have... Um, given us something entirely different. He could have said, uh, uh, I want you to take this nail, this nail that represents the nail that nailed me to the cross, or the nails that nailed me to the cross. And I want the uh, the uh, elders of the church to uh, take a plate of nails and pass the nails around, and everybody take a nail. And then take that nail home and uh, put it on your dresser or put it on your nightstand. And every time you look at that nail, remember that uh, I was nailed to the cross for you. Christ might have done that, but he didn't do that. And I think one of the reasons he didn't do that is because uh, all that does is remind us of his death. It It doesn't remind us of our appropriation of his death. Now, he's, he's given us symbols of his death that we can take into ourselves because we need to take Christ into ourselves. And so the Lord's Supper reminds us. It reminds us two ways. It reminds us by giving us visual symbols of his death and then commanding us to take those visual symbols and put them inside ourselves and, and eat them and, and be uh, nourished and strengthened unto eternal life by the Holy Spirit uh, through those things. 
That's, that's how the Lord's Supper reminds us that we have a, a share in Christ. But now how does it assure us that we uh, have a share in Christ and in his death uh, that we uh, benefit from us? Well, we, we are assured because Christ speaks to us and commands us to do this. He speaks to us and he commands us to do as, and, and promises that this is indeed a communion, a fellowship, a participation in his body and blood. You know, in my first charge, uh, I was a very young man and uh, there was an elderly lady in the congregation who has since gone on to glory, a dear saint in the Lord, but uh, she was a warrior. And I remember one time her grandson was coming to visit her in Florida. Her grandson was traveling, I don't know whether from New Jersey or Michigan, but he was coming a long way to visit her in Florida. And he was coming on a motorcycle. And oh, how Marie worried about his motorcycle trip, you know. And he said to her, Grandma, Grandma, don't worry, don't worry. I assure you, I will get there safely and I will get home safely. I know how to drive a motorcycle. And he did. He got there safely and he got home safely. But was she assured of of his safety when he said to her, Grandma, be assured? Because Grandma knew that he wasn't in charge and he wasn't in control of everything. But now, had uh, Marie heard a voice from heaven, if such things happen, then they, they don't. But uh, if she had heard a voice from heaven and her heavenly father said, Marie, stop worrying. Your grandson's going to get here safe. He's going to get home safe. If, if it was God who, who said to her, uh, your grandson's going to be safe, I, I would hope that, that Marie would be assured that, her grandson was safe and, and she didn't have to worry because God is in charge. God speaks with authority. And that's what we have in the scripture. We have God addressing us and assuring us through his servant, the Apostle Paul. Remember what the word apostle means. It means authorized spokesman, uh, someone who has uh, legal power of attorney to speak for God. And God binds himself to whatever his servants uh, say on his behalf. If he makes somebody an apostle and that apostle speaks for God, God is bound to that. And, of course, God inspires the the prophet, so the prophet doesn't uh, take God into territory God doesn't want to go and uh, areas he doesn't want to be bound to. But uh, nevertheless, when the apostle speaks, it's God speaking to us. And he says, is it not, and we read in the New King James, a communion? Is the cup which we take, is it not a communion? In the, in the form for the Lord's Supper, it's translated, uh, is it not a participation? Uh, communion, participation, those are both good translations of the Greek word uh, koinonia, which means uh, a participation or a fellowship in. It's uh, the word from which we get the English word communion or communism. Communism is uh, sharing all things, you know. Uh, uh, communism as a form of government is uh, a very bad sort of thing. It's uh, poor stewardship at best and uh, theft at worst. But when God shares himself with us voluntarily, it is a glorious thing. 
And uh, Paul is asking the question, a rhetorical question where the answer is obviously, yes, it is. When, when we take that cup, it is a fellowship with Christ. We are sharing in him. He comes to us in that cup. He comes to us in that bread. It is a communion. It is a fellowship. It is a koinonia uh, with the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so because it comes by the command of Christ, it's Christ who says, do this in remembrance of me. He's, he's the one who says, drink the cup, all of you. He commands it and he says to us through his servant, this is a uh, communion and a fellowship. You know, if uh, the uh, if the elders were to uh, indeed pass around a, a plate of nails and uh, take one and say to you, take one and be assured that Christ died for you. Uh, well, we could say, yeah, the nail, it sort of reminds me. Uh, of the death of Christ because he was nailed to the cross. There's some symbolism there, but by what authority would the elders say, be assured, God never said that. And so it, it wouldn't work. If, if God doesn't say it, there's, there's no assurance. But because it is God who speaks to us, there indeed is assurance. The Lord's Supper reminds us of the death of Christ it, and it assures us of our participation in the death of Christ because uh, it comes to us by the command of Christ and with the promise that indeed it is a participation and a communion with him. Now, the catechism asks a question that we've been uh, dealing with in uh, John chapter 6 in uh, recent uh, uh, weeks uh, since the beginning of the new year. Uh, what does it mean to eat the crucified body of Christ and to drink his poured out blood? And at the time we were dealing with that, I did not uh, bring into our consideration uh, directly or uh, direct reference to uh, question 76 of the Heidelberg Catechism. But I gave you that answer. Uh, it means to accept with a believing heart the entire suffering and death of Christ and in this way to receive the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And you'll notice that uh, the first uh, two footnotes to that in the catechism are John 6, verse 35 and 40. And uh, I recall very uh, uh, clearly that when we were dealing with John 6, uh, 35 and 40, I uh, used that uh, a little bit of uh, logic, you know, a, a logical uh, formulation. If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. Any of you who have studied logic know that that's a, a simple uh, statement of logic. If, if, if one thing is equal to something else and something else is equal to that same thing, then the two other things are equal to each other as well. And uh, this refers to uh, John 6.35, which says... Um, Everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him has eternal life. Uh, looking to the Son and believing in him is A. And having eternal life is B. And then uh, verse 54 says, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Well, eating my flesh is C. And again, B is having eternal life. So you have receive, uh, looking and believing equals eternal life. Eating equals eternal life. Therefore, eating equals believing. 
to uh, uh, believe in Jesus Christ is the manner in which we uh, eat his flesh and drink his blood. And that's why Jesus goes on into uh, later in that same chapter to say it's not the flesh counts for nothing. It's the spirit. It's the spirit who is at work feeding you and nourishing you through the Holy Supper. Uh, eating and drinking is a metaphor. It is a figure of speech. It's not meant to be taken literally as if we engage in cannibalism or that uh, the bread and the wine actually become the physical flesh and blood. Uh, the, wine, the, the bread and the wine become the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ, as uh, some uh, uh, believe. No, it's, uh, it's a metaphor uh, for believing. Eating is a metaphor for believing. If you have believed, you have eaten, says St. Augustine. All who eat and drink his blood uh, are united to Christ and uh, blessed through the Spirit. Uh, for John says uh, in John 6, For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drink my blood abides in me and I in him. Eating his flesh, drinking his blood, you abide in him. Well, that also means if you have looked to the Son and believe in him, you abide in him. You have fellowship with him. And again, that's why Paul says that the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks is a participation, a communion in the blood of Christ. And the bread which we break is a participation, a communion in the body of Christ. Uh, and uh, we are, uh, we receive Christ spiritually. He dwells within us. He unites us to one another. Uh, we partake of one bread because we are united to one another through Jesus Christ. As the body has many parts and is united by one soul, so we are united to Christ's body and indwelt by one spirit. Do you not know, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? And again in Ephesians 5.29 and 30, After all, no one ever hated his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. John writes in 1 John 4.13, We know that we live in him and he in us because we have given us his spirit. Indeed, we are assured of there our participation in Christ through the Lord's Supper because he commands it and because he promises that it is a communion and fellowship with him. And then uh, the Catechism asks a very obvious, simple question, I think, where does Christ promise to nourish and refresh believers with his body and blood as surely as we eat uh, this broken uh, bread and drink this cup? Uh, well, in those very promises that we've read and referred to numerous times in 1 Corinthians 10 and 1 Corinthians 11, uh, this is uh, where Christ indeed commands us and assures us uh, that we are participating with him. We note that the, the origin of the ceremony, the origin of the Lord's Supper, is Christ himself. It's not a human invention. It's a divine command. It's not an invitation, but a command. Believers are commanded to do it and um, should come when they uh, are, uh, know that they believe in Christ. Uh, you know, the symbolism is important. 
And if someone doesn't understand the symbolism, uh, a two-year-old child perhaps doesn't understand the symbolism, or someone, uh, an adult not acquainted with the faith, doesn't understand the symbolism, uh, it would be wrong for them to partake of those symbols because it would be an act of hypocrisy. You know, if someone who doesn't believe reaches out and takes the bread and reaches out and takes the cup and then consumes them. It's, it's symbolic of reaching out for Christ, which they haven't done if, because they're not believers. And so the apostle warns, you eat and drink judgment unto yourself if you don't discern the body, if you don't recognize what's going on, what's involved here. And so we look for our young people to make a credible profession of faith, a believable profession of faith that they might not eat and drink judgment unto themselves. We recognize that they can be believers at an early age, but we want to recognize that they truly understand and are uh, uh, coming for the right reasons. There's a a proverb that the the father is the, the glory of the child or the glory of the son. What that means is that little children idolize daddy and sometimes mommy too. And uh, little children want attention. And so they learn early what uh, pleases mom and dad. And, and therefore they parrot back what uh, uh, mom and dad uh, teach them. And it's hard to know whether they're sincere or whether they're just looking for attention. But when a child is uh, enters their teenage years, uh, They no longer glory in their parents. Uh, Their parents are a burden and an embarrassment, and uh, they're much more inclined to rebel than to try to please parents. And they cause their parents a lot of heartache. And so when when a teenager comes and says, I believe in Jesus Christ, and I love him, and I want to serve him, we say, you know, that's a lot more believable than when a five-year-old says it. Five-year-old can mean it sincerely. I, I have no doubt that a five-year-old can mean it sincerely, but it's hard for us, uh, and particularly the elders of the church who are given uh, supervision of the Lord's table, to know whether it is sincere or not. But when uh, they come, when they reach uh, an age of understanding and discretion, they, they are much better. The elders are much better to judge the sincerity of such a confession. But there ought to be no unnecessary delay in that regard. Because even children are commanded to do this if they can do it well. Uh, Jesus says to them as well, to young people, do this in remembrance of me. So don't don't tell yourself, well, you know, one of these days I'll get around to uh, making public profession of faith. I don't need to worry about that until I get old, you know, and, and uh, I'll put it off until a lot later. Now, uh, if you are a sincere believer in Jesus Christ, you should come and obey this command. It is for your good. Each time we celebrate, let us remember that one day uh, the table of the Lord uh, will be set aside, that uh, Lord's Supper table will be set aside, the signs and seals will disappear, and Christ himself will be in front of us. And uh, we will sit down with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb and rejoice with him for all eternity. Amen. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that each time we come to the Lord's Supper, we may look forward to the day when you yourself will come and stand in front of us and uh, invite us to sit and eat with you at at your marriage supper. We marvel at your great love for us 
and the sacrifice that you made for us fills us with awe and wonder each time we remember it. And we rejoice that you have given us assurance that, our, that we do participate in it through faith in Christ. And we pray that you would strengthen that faith daily, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.